Good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Melanie C. and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Tuesday, January 13, 2015. Today we are reading from the Big Book and we are on page 36, paragraph 3, starting with Let's Start One More Journey. Today's readers are the 12 Steps, Diane G., the 12 Traditions, Anne-Marie M., reading the text, Chelsea H., Carrie H., Sharon B. The reference number for yesterday, Monday, January 12, 2015, 7180. 7180. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Diane G. to read the 12 steps. Good morning, everyone. This is Diane G. from New Hampshire. Grateful to be here today to read the 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Excuse me. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And 12, having had a spiritual awakening, as a result of these steps, we, can, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Diane G. I will now ask Anne-Marie M. to read the 12 Traditions. Good morning. This is Anne Marie M. 
in South in Rhode Island as as, we, as I speak, um, the twelve traditions. Um, one, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible for those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, film, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you. Thank you, Anne-Marie M. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book on page 36, starting with the third paragraph, Thus We Started, and ending the first discussion with page 37, How It Could Have Happened. I will now ask Chelsea H. to begin our study. Good morning, Chelsea. Good morning, Melanie. Thank you for your service. This is Chelsea H. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater for today. Thus started one more journey to the asylum for Jim. Here was the threat of commitment, the loss of family and position, to say nothing of the intense mental and physical suffering which drinking always caused him. He had much knowledge about himself as an alcoholic, yet all reasons for not drinking were easily pushed aside in favor of the foolish idea that he could take whiskey if only he mixed it with milk. Whatever the precise definition of the word may be, we call this plain insanity. How can such a lack of proportion of the ability to think straight be called anything else? 
You may think this an extreme case. To us, it is not far-fetched, for this kind of thinking has been characteristic of every single one of us. We have sometimes reflected more than Jim did upon the consequences, but there was always the curious mental phenomenon that paralleled our sound reasoning. There inevitably ran some sane, insanely trivial excuse for taking the first drink. Our sound reasoning failed to hold us in check. The insane idea won out. Next day, we would ask ourselves in all earnesty and sincerity, how could it have happened again? I'm still Chelsea H., and I'm recovered for today, and thank you, Didi, for that. This information here, this whole section, really creates such a sense of urgency for me now, even more so. It actually did when I was doing the work with my guide. It created a sense of I needed to get through with the work. I have to finish the rest of the work. It doesn't matter that I learn I have an allergy of the body and an obsession of the mind. That's, that knowledge about myself means zip when it comes to dealing with food. It says um, to us this unmanageability part on, um, before we even start the steps. On page 58, it says, remember that we deal with alcohol. And then there's punctuation there. And it says, cunning, baffling, powerful. Well, my interpretation of it comes out to be that it says, without help, it's too much for us. It's too much for us dealing with the food. I look at that information saying that if I don't walk through the rest of this process, if I go to step three and I say, okay, I believe in something and I can deal with that, and I can also say, all right, I have an allergy of the body. Oh, I get it. I have an obsession of the mind. And then I let it go there. I can make a beginning like Jim did, but I will go back to the food because I still have not treated the greater part of my disease, which is a mental condition of thinking insanely when it comes to dealing with food. It's cunning, baffling, and powerful dealing with the food. And without help, I'm going to succumb to the desire to do the very same thing that is killing me. And that is crazy stuff like saying, oh, I'll go out and get a bucket of extra crispy, pull off the skin, and that'll be okay. Or I'll go and get several triple whoppers, pull off the buns, and that'll be okay. Only to go back later, and believe me, that skin is going to be eaten because it's going to be placed very neatly in the trash so I can go back and get it later. So that'll, I'll succumb to that. So the thinking is just this phenomenon, this curious mental twist, which they said in the beginning that only a psychic change would be able to help us with that, a change to shift to healthy thinking instead of insane thinking, because that's what sanity is. It's healthy thinking. So that when these crazy ideas come up that, oh, I can go out and pick up a bottle of wine because my main drink was vodka, I can't do that. I can't have several bottles of champagne and, like, Kool-Aid with my meals. Those are insane thinking. And in order to get a shift from that so I can start doing things that are healthy for me, I have to experience the entire 12 steps. Because here it's saying whatever the definition is of the word insanity, it, it's irrelevant because these people's experience is the definition. And the experience has been that you have to walk through all 12 steps. And then you have to implement them and live by them. So you're not off the hook even then after you walk through. No matter how much you learn about this disease, no matter how many times you're on this call, which is wonderful, if you don't implement these steps 
and actually practice them every single day, the principles of them, whatever you need to do. It needs to be ingrained in your life. It needs to be part of your ideals. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you, Chelsea. I appreciate that very much. Um, who would like to share on what we read today? Charles H. Oh, Larry. Anne-Marie M. Matt M. I heard Charles H., Larry K., Anne-Marie M., and Matt M. Anyone else? Kim. Hi, Kim. Good morning. Let's start with that lineup so far. Thank you so much. Uh, good morning, Charles H. You're on. Good morning. Good morning, all visionaries. My name is Charles H., a Republic visionary just for today. Um, <clears throat> you may think this is an extreme case, and it's on 30... 38, it says, you may think our illustration is too ridiculous. So the uh, Jim and the the Jaywalker, you know, I could so identify in with all this stuff. Um, One more journey to the asylum for Jim. You know, somebody is knocking. Ooh. If you can just start, yeah, that's kind of crazy disrespectful right there. Thank you. Um... Yeah, let me get my train of thought. Thank you, God. So, yeah, insanity, repeating the same things and expecting different results. Um, I was Jim all the way, man. I was Jim all the way. Uh, (laughs) There's no sound reasoning when it comes to this disease, man. Um, Total psychic change, uh, running up and down the 12 steps every single day, no matter what, trying to give this program to somebody else. Um, so I can keep it. And it sounds selfish, but, it, it, you know, it's selfless because I, I, I know this is what I need to do. I won't keep it. I, I, I'll be like Jim again, and I'll be an extreme case again, and uh, my behavior will be absurd again, and I'll be justifying again, and I'll be full of anger, worry, depression, jealousy again. Um, if I don't step work every single day, step 1 through 12, Every single day, or it'll be it'll be white knuckle action as if not. You know, um, I remember being in the asylum. I remember being mentally and physically sick and crazy and and, and just just out of it. And uh, this is not an extreme case. This is this is this is the truth. You know, I I go to I, I go to some different meetings and I hear people actually say it. I'm scared of the truth. I'm scared of the big book. That's why I stay away from those meetings. So I know this is the truth because I used to be scared of the truth too, you know. Um, So, man, I'm trying to stay out of the asylum. I'm trying to stay out of justifying stuff. Um, I'm trying to stay out of premeditating, killing myself with food and other foolishness. You know, a lot of people say, Man, I see you. You know my sponsors and sponsors say, "Why, man, you meditate so much? You know why? I gotta go back to the water. That's where I meditate in, in, in a bath. I got to because I, if I don't, I'll be insane. It, it's it centers my mind. You know, it centers my mind. You know, um, if, if not, if I don't do these things, I will be insane. Um, I'll be in the asylum right next to Jim." That that'll be my asylum buddy, and and, and then and then on page thirty eight I'll be uh, 
you know, every 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 time I make a trip to the to the fridge, I'll be fracturing my skull, I'll be breaking my back, I'll be jaywalking. I've been jaywalking for forty some years. It's time to start waiting for the stoplight and waiting for it to turn green. So with all that, I'm a pass. Thanks for allowing me to share Charles H. Thank you, Charles H. Larry K. Thanks, Melanie, for your service. Um, Larry Kay, recovered compulsive overeater. Um, the, um, you know, what, what what this is speaking to me is that this is uh, this uh, strange mental phenomenon, this strange mental twist that we have. I mean, the the main center of my problem, the, the main problem that I had centered in my mind. Um, the allergy I, I have, I always will have the allergy, but it's it's amazing. You know, I'm I'm driving uh, this morning to school. It's snowy in Chicago, and I'm passing one place after another that I I don't even think about. And the only reason I'm thinking about it now is because we're, um, you know, we, you know, to illustrate w- what this used to be like before I had a complete spiritual transformation as the result of working through these steps. Um, you know, what happens to us, you know, this, this, first off, this is a divine thing for me, this um, this practical program of action. It's not, it wasn't a quick fix, nor was it a, some psychological measure for me. It was not that primarily, you know. Um, and my gosh, I, I'm a psychologist by trade. <laughs> that's, and that's the amazing thing that God came to me through this program. But I'm passing these, you know, Dunkin' Donuts, Steak and Shake, all these different places that, you know, for some apparent reason, that thought would come into my mind to pull into those places. And when I wasn't pulling into those places, um, I was obsessed with it. And I, would, I, I wouldn't want to look, you know, towards there. I would want to look away as if, uh, as if I could shield myself and place a bubble around myself. That was never possible. That would, that would never be possible. What really happened is, uh, and I can't explain why this happens, but this divine program, see, God entered my heart. The God of my own understanding entered my heart. And um, I was aware of that God, but I just didn't have access to that God. And what that God did for me, did the heavy lifting, that God removed the obsession of the mind, extracted it, lifted it right out of me. That's what happened to me. And I'm not going to pretend that that didn't happen to me. It really did. So today, I, I don't struggle on the food, and I don't um, have to shield myself from Dunkin' Donuts and Steak and Shake. It doesn't, they, they're, they're, there's neutrality around it. This is what happens is we, I'm not a prey to misery and depression anymore. I can control my emotional nature. How did that happen? It happened because God did that to me. This, this, this process happens to us. All we do is we chop our wood and carry our water, our buckets of water. We, we work through the steps. So grateful. Thank God for Alcoholics Anonymous. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry Kay. And Marie M. Uh, thank you, Melanie. This is Anne Marie M., recovered compulsive overeater in Rhode Island at this point. <laughs> um, I love Jim's story and, um, you know, reading through it and listening to the meetings. Um, I didn't have an opportunity to share on it, but. Um, you know, today's today's reading um, reminded me of how knowledge does not uh, th- that last sentence 
um, said the last sentence on page 36. Um, he had not much knowledge about himself as an alcoholic, yet all reasons for drinking were easily pushed aside in favor of the foolish idea that he could take whiskey if only he mixed it with um, with milk. And that re- reminds me on page 26. Back on page 26... Um, it talks about right in the middle of um, of the page. Above all else, he believed he had acquired such a perform- uh, profound knowledge of the inner workings of his mind. Um, this is about Roland Hazard um, of his mind and its hidden springs that relapse was unthinkable. And oh my goodness, I remember how many times I got into my skinny jeans and I thought I will never relapse again. And I had so much knowledge, but knowledge did not get me anywhere and you know part of our disease one more thing I don't want to go over time but part of our disease is the amnesia of what the uh, trigger food does to us Um, for some reason we only remember what it does for us and if we condemn ourselves and put ourselves down over on page 86 we haven't gotten there that yet but the promise is that the um, first paragraph towards the end of the part uh um, paragraph it says, but we must be careful not to drift into worry, remorse, or morbid reflection, for that would diminish our usefulness to others. So, so many times when I was in the food, I would just poor me. Why did I do it again? I can't believe it, and just such self hatred for why I went back into the food, why I couldn't remember what it did to me. But I had to come to the fact in the acceptance that that is part of the disease of addiction, any kind of addiction, food addiction, alcohol addiction, sex addiction, gambling addiction. We don't remember what it did to us. We only remember it does what for us. So to sit in morbid reflection for me um, just reminds me I will never be useful to anyone else if I am in that self-centeredness. So with that, I'll pass. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you, Anne-Marie M. Matt M., Yes, hi, can you hear me? I can, good morning. Hi, good morning. I'm Matt M. I'm a grateful, um, compulsive overeater. Um, I live in New Jersey. Um, I can't say that I'm in recovery 100% because I haven't finished working through the steps, but I'm looking through this, reading this, and um, I I woke up this morning with a sense of urgency, and reading this just now today really confirmed that, you know, uh, that I am definitely just like Jim. I'm one of those hardcore, uh, bottom of the barrel, first 100 drinkers, who will be killed by this disease if I don't finish working through the steps and going through the steps. I have a sponsor, and I'm working with him, and the thing is, he doesn't live near me either. He's, he's out of state for me, and I have did all the step work. I'm working on all step one and step two questions that are with the big book that and actually entail with a lot of what, I'm, what we read today. And I, for some reason, there's, I woke up this morning, and I thought to him, I had, you got to tell him you got to get more intense, and you got to get more into the steps because... I'm starting to get thoughts in my head of wanting to eat. Just like Jim said, it's like the thought occurred to me like, you know, uh, my, I don't have to do this part of my routine. I don't have to do this part of my routine. I didn't read all my literature yesterday. I didn't take a shower yesterday, which I do every day. And it says the food is the last thing to go. So I'm starting to realize my routine is starting to slip, and that scared me when I woke up this morning. I never stop those doing I always do those things every day. And um, I am an extreme case. Someone said, I heard the other day that, you know, if I don't, at least not today might come, not today, but tomorrow, but the thought's going to come back that I am going to, I'm not like one of you guys, I'm not like one of the people in this big book, and I am, 
I am a morbidly obese person. I am like you guys. I am a bottom of the barrel drunk when it comes to food. I can't. I still see those places, and I want to go to all those wonderful drive-throughs that I used to think I used to eat with impunity, or used to think that I used to eat with that with, with impunity. Um, if I'm talking fast, please excuse me. I've just got a lot in my head this morning. Um, <clears throat> I really look at myself that it's insane thinking that was going through my head the last couple of days. I was restless, irritable, and discontented, and I kind of put my finger on it. And I finally put my finger on today. So I sent a text message to my sponsor this morning. I said, listen, I don't talk to you every day, but if you, when you answer me, we have to have a big talk because if he's not willing to help me work the way I need I know I needed to work it, then I'm going to have to find a different sponsor because I'm starting to get that feeling, those feelings again that I don't have to do this, I don't have to do that. And eventually I will wind up back in the food. That might not be today, it might not be tomorrow, but there will become a day again. And I want to be in the solution. I don't want to be in the mess. I want to live in the solution. So with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Matt M. Kim G. Good morning, Melanie. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. Next day, we would ask ourselves in all earnestness and sincerity how it could have happened. You know, I'm not saying I didn't lie about my food, but I have to tell you, for the most part, I was telling the truth. I meant that this was going to be different. Hook me up to a lie detector test. Today, I was going to be abstinent. You know, when I made that New Year's resolution in 1996 and 1997 and 2003 and all those years, I wasn't lying. I meant it. You know, I had a plan. I had bought me Tupperware. This time was going to be different. You know, when I went to the doctor and he threatened to put me on medications, and I said, don't you understand, doctor? I'm going to be 40 pounds lighter next time you see me, I swear. I meant that. When I woke up in my dorm room in college thinking, I can't do this anymore, today is going to be different, I meant it. I didn't understand that I didn't have the power. I didn't understand that the fight was the first drink. I really thought the fight was I have to learn how to have a couple slices of pizza. Let me tell you what would happen when I thought that was my reality. I would buy a whole pie of pizza, and I would have two slices, and I would know that was all I was going to have, with all sincerity and earnestness. And I'd wrap up the leftover pizza, and I'd put it in the fridge. And 2 o'clock in the morning, I'd wake up, and I would go get the pizza and just eat it cold. But then I knew I couldn't do that anymore. I have to be more, I have to be stronger. So what I would do is I would buy the piece of the whole pie, I'd have my two slices. I would wrap up the pizza, but I'd throw it in the trash. And I would wake up 2 o'clock in the morning, and I would pull it out of the trash and just eat it. And then I knew that I, I had to be even stronger. So I'd buy the full pizza, I'd have my two slices, and I wouldn't wrap it up, and I would just throw it in the trash. And 2 o'clock in the morning, I would still get up, and I would pull it out of the trash, wipe off the other trash, and I would eat it. And then I got desperate because I meant it. I meant I was only going to have two slices of pizza. So what I would do is I would have my two slices and I would put Ajax on the pizza. After all, it's poison. I'm not going to eat it. And at 2 o'clock in the morning, I would wake up with tears rolling down my eyes and go to the trash and I would pull out the pizza, wipe off the Ajax to the best of my ability, and I would eat it. With all earnestness and sincerity, I meant it. But I didn't understand. I didn't have the power. That is the problem. No matter what I did, in OA or outside of OA, if I did not get a connection with a power greater than myself, I was always going to be with tears rolling down my eyes, 
going to that trash can, pulling out that pizza. In and of myself, human aid has always failed me utterly. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph before we move on? Mary Zolito. And Vasa. Esther C. I heard Mary, Vasa, and Esther. Sally. Sally. Alice. And Alice. Uh, Okay, I did hear a Sandra S. Okay, let's go with that, please. Mary, would you please start us out? Uh, thanks, Mel. Um, said here he had much knowledge about himself as an alcoholic, yet yet all reasons for not drinking were easily pushed aside in favor of the foolish idea that he could take a, a take whiskey if he only mixed it with milk. Um, for me, the knowledge didn't get me abstinent. However, the way it worked on me was like this: when I came in and cracked open these, this big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, the knowledge did help in this respect in the long term, like the turtle that finally gets to the end of the, the, the race. It contributed to the capturing of my heart of this program and the hell that I had to pay every time I would eat. It made it worse. It made the bottom faster and it made the despair worse. Every sentence in this book contributed to my getting abstinent. However, knowledge doesn't cut it. But for me, it worked on my heart in such a way that I could not eat without having more, more despair. Then I want to say about the uh, mental phenomenon, sights of food and smells of food are very powerful for me. That is one way, and I, I, I know it says that it puts you in a state of neutrality and this, that, and everything else. And if people can be around it, that's great. I don't make a point of trying to hang out Around bakeries or people who are eating a lot of food, it's not good for me. That's just for me. And that's all I have to share. Thanks. And I pass. Hi, Mary. Um, would you also give me the first initial of your last name before you go? Yeah, I usually I'd ask myself, it's Mary Lillian, uh, because uh, that's a rare middle name. Uh, I know there's a couple of Marys. So it's Mary, Lill- Mary Lillian from Philadelphia. Would you give me the initial that I'm, I'm having some interference? I can't quite catch the word. Okay, Mary Lillian. Lillian. Okay. Yeah, yeah, because that's kind of like a rare name. (laughs) Thank you so much. Vasa, oh, you're next. Vasa, oh, are you there? Sorry, I was muting and unmuting. Thank you, uh, everybody. I'm Vasa, oh, Recover Compulsible Vita, calling from Florida. And I love uh, the, you know, Bill's story because I, I could identify with, with it. But um, I battled the food addiction for many, many years of my life trying to control it and to gain and regain that power, and it just did not work for me anymore. And I, like, always was the last hope for me or was, the, you know, the last thing I was going to try and again, that's the only thing has worked for me, and I'm just so grateful that God brought me in the in the program. And I remember, like I I was afraid to talk about God for a long time because I didn't want people to think I was fanatic. You know, all of a sudden, you know, Vas was talking all about God. Well, God started doing for me what I couldn't do for myself, so I needed to not to worry what people are going to say in the program or out of the program. 
But anyways, I um, uh, excuse me one second. I just want to gather my thoughts. Uh, I oh, um, food was cunning and baffling. It's going to kill me if I didn't stop eating like I was eating. And again, I was brought in the 12 steps, you know, by a, by a program person, and she 12 stepped me. And she said to me, Vasa, if you don't surrender, if you don't find a power greater than yourself, which I call God today, and, you know, you're not going to be able to do this by yourself. You've tried for 25 years to do it, and I did everything in my power to try and to control. It just did not work anymore. And then I was willing and I was ready. I said, I will do whatever you tell me to do, even if it means for me to get on my knees and to surrender God. What's such a big deal? I didn't think that was a, you know, what, if that's going to help me, why not do it? But I was afraid. But I did. I was afraid, but I did it anyways. And uh, that was the beginning. You know, that was, I did on my first meeting. And I, I had a spiritual experience that I didn't share for many, many years, you know, just with program people here and there. And that's when I became abstinent. But I came to my first meeting, and I learned about the allergy in the doctor's opinion, and that was just amazing because I never heard that, you know, that sugar was a drug. And I learned about the, the allergy and about the mental obsession. And then if I kept on doing what I was doing, it was going to kill me. So I did surrender, and, you know, I put the foot in God's hand, and I asked God to forgive me for all my sins I had committed in my life. And then that's when I felt I was, like, I was just lifted, you know. I got this power within myself that I never thought existed. And that power came from God, not from me. But I wanted to eat the next morning. So... I didn't eat. No matter how much I wanted to eat, I didn't eat. I just prayed to God, please keep me abstinent. It was just the beginning. And the 12 steps are laid out the way they are laid out for a reason. But I did do the first three steps. I can, he can, I will let him. And I was ready to do that because I was dying anyway. So why not take the risk? Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Vasa O. Esther C. Good morning, Melanie. Thank you for your service. My name is Esther C., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Canada. I wanted to comment on this uh, phrase, for this kind of thinking has been characteristic of every single one of us. Every single one of us? Every single compulsive overeater? That's exactly it. That's what separates me, a true compulsive overeater, from those out there who like to eat but are not compulsive overeaters. There are lots of people who have all kinds of reactions to food that they ingest, but what makes me a true compulsive overeater is this kind of thinking, not the allergy of the body. Maybe lots of people have the allergy of the body, but it's this mental obsession, this insane type of thinking. What type of thinking? This insane type of thinking that makes me a true compulsive overeater. And what is this insane thinking? That even though I know the consequences of of eating compulsively, whether it's the weight gain, the poor health, the estrangement from those closest to me, the lack of productivity at work, the financial um, 
you know, the overspending, the emotional problems, the low self-esteem, the self-loathing, the shame, the humiliation, even though I know all those truths, all it takes is one little lie to make me forget everything that I know, makes me forget all the pain. Every single brain cell that I have seems to turn off when I tell myself one little lie like, it'll be okay, or, you know, an ounce of whiskey in my milk shouldn't hurt me on a full stomach, or whatever it is I tell myself, or I don't want to hurt someone's feelings. Whatever lie I tell myself, one little lie is able to knock out that entire wall of truths that I know. Everything that I I know to be true about my disease simply flies out the window, and at that moment, I cannot differentiate the truth from the false. And then I pick up, and I've done this over and over and over again. The the truth that that I know is pushed out by the desire to control uh, control my food, to enjoy my food, to think that one day I'm going to be like everybody else. And this insane thinking is what separates me from normal eaters, and it separates me from normal eaters who might even be overweight. It wasn't my weight that uh, makes me different than all the other eaters out there. Um, And it wasn't the length of time I spent in you know, the years that I've spent in the compulsive overeating, it's this insane thinking. So when it says here this kind of thinking has been characteristic of every single one of us, it sure has. Because if we wouldn't be compulsive overeaters, we wouldn't have to be here. We could just go to any other diet program. I thank you for letting me share with that. I'll pass. Thank you, Esther C. Sally A. Good morning, Melanie. Good morning, Vision for you. It's good to be here. This is Sally A., a recovered compulsive overeater in South Jersey. And these are just such powerful paragraphs. And, of course, much has been said already, but I just couldn't uh, let this go by without really honing in on this uh, this sentence. But there was always a curious mental phenomenon that parallels, that runs alongside with our sound reasoning. There inevitably ran some insanely trivial excuse for taking the first bite. Our sound reasoning failed to hold us in check. The insane idea won out. This, um, you know, reminds me on page 107 to begin with, coming down the page, um, about three-quarters of the way down the page, it says, asked why they commenced to drink again, they would reply with some silly excuse or none. It was so baffling, so heartbreaking, could we have been so mistaken in the men we married? And, you know, this is me. This is me all over. I, I, this whole excuse idea, the insanely trivial excuse, we see over and over on this page, they keep using the word insane, this kind of thinking. They're really honing in on the greater aspect of, of my disease, that it really was my insane thinking. You know, in the Big Book Dictionary, it talks about, uh, the word sanity, it gives the definition for the word sanity. And it, it tells us that to be sane is free from defect, mentally sound, reasonable. And so if that's true, if to be sane is to be free from defect, mentally sound, and reasonable, then you can understand why they're talking about insanity and being unreasonable over and over and over again, five, six, seven times in a row, in these paragraphs. And so this guy here, this poor guy, Jim, who has this uh, general anxiety disorder and, um, and the poor guy who has this loss of family business and the embarrassment of losing the family inherited business and, uh, you know, all that goes with 
this poor guy's position, you know, in being in a job where he has lost the leadership role and is now, you know, really humbled. Um, I think many of us can identify him with this poor guy. And so when we see these words, some insanely trivial excuse for taking the first bite, you know, that's really what it always was, just any old excuse. It could be any reason at all that I would pick up that first, um, any trivial excuse for taking that first bite. But ultimately, it all boils down to the same thing. It boils down to if you pick up the food, you're saying yes, and you are reinforcing the decision to pick up the food. But every time you say no to building on that relationship, that sick relationship with food, and you instead make a decision, no, I'm not going to reinforce that behavior of eating, you're then reinforcing the behavior of developing a new relationship with a, with a higher power, whatever that looks like for you. Thanks for letting me share this morning. With that, I pass. Thank you, Sally A. Alice M.? Hi, this is Alice from Florida, compulsive overeater and uh, bulimic and anorexic. And, um, you know, when I read that sentence, um, whatever the precise definition of the word may be, we call this plain insanity. And I look at what mine, um, set my timer for a second here. For me, we call this plain insanity. For me, that was always, insanity was always justifying rationalizing and minimizing my disease and and that's what happens with with Jim here you know he's kind of you know rationalizing no it's just you know just milk I'll just put whiskey in the milk and and um I have a friend that calls those incidents of powerlessness and I have I I experienced that over and over again and that's when I didn't intend for this to happen. I didn't intend to, to binge and vomit. I didn't intend to skip that meal. I didn't intend to, to get drunk on that whiskey, you know, but it happened anyway. Once I started, it happened anyway. And, um, and I, you know, it's just so, so it's just so tricky to, you know, to be in tune with when that rationalizing and justifying comes in. That's, it's key for me to keep on top of that. Um, and where it says, you know, you may think this is an extreme case. I have, I have an extreme, um, very severe eating disorder and there's certain things that I need to do that other people don't need to do. Um, and that's just my experience and what has been, you know, given my direction. And, and still, um, I can, I know there's three times when I thought that, ah, you know, once was, um, after a 12-year period of not engaging in my my bulimia, 12 years, I found myself standing over standing over a scale once, seeing the weight on it I didn't like, and I thought, ah, it, it won't be that bad. I'll just do this as a jump start. And I vomited the first time in 12 years. And that 11 months later, I was back in treatment, and my life was a mess. And... um I didn't think, I didn't think that that would really, I thought, of course I could handle it. So it's just that insidious thinking that comes along with that. Another thing is that, you know, around coffee for me, coffee is not part of my abstinence plan. Not only that, it's a gateway back into relapse for me. For me, it is. And I remember once standing in Starbucks, and this is when I was, um, when I was allowing myself to have decaf coffee, and I was supposed to put a quarter cup of milk into it. I didn't have my measuring cup with me. 
And so I just poured what I thought was, and that was the insanity right there. And that was a gateway back into a relapse. Just, you know, just that incident of powerlessness over and over and over again. It's always been helpful, it's been helpful for me to write those powerless, those incidents down in the past that I've had, just so I can have those as a reference to go back to, you know, where I had no idea it was going to happen that way. Well, my mind is pretty much broken. So it's, um, anyway, I just wanted to, to, you know, to end there. Um, and I pass. Thank you. Rabia. Thank Thank you, Alice. Um, I hear you, Rabia. We have a Sandra just before you. Sandra, are you still there? This is Sandra. I'm here. Oh, you are there. Okay. Hi, Sandra. What's the first initial of your last name, please? S. S like Sam? S as in Sam, yeah. Great. Good morning to you. It's your turn. Good morning. Um, First, I'm pretty much a newcomer. I've been pretty much empowered, like what pulled me into this, I just want to say, is is the concept of being responsible for yourself. It made a major mind shift. I haven't quite gotten into my abstinent mode yet. I'm just taking in a lot of listening. And today I was um, struck by the, the insanity comments. And yesterday I, I don't know, the last couple of days I realized I do, I'm an excellent rule follower and I've, done Lindora, which is basically like no sugar, no carbs, um, protein and fruit. So it's good eating, but there's no follow through. There's no anything. And now I've done that twice where I've lost 60 or 70 pounds. Every time I get to the end of it, I would start to panic. I didn't know what to do. I got all this attention. Everybody said, oh, how, because I lose weight really quickly. That right now I'm, I'm just too scared to even go down that path again. I don't want to, I don't want to yo-yo again. I know I can follow the rules. I know I can do that. And I think what LA is going to do for me is going to keep me off that path. And this is what I hope it is because by following the steps and by continuing, I won't have the end of the diet. I don't, you know, and I don't even want to call it a diet, but you know what I'm saying? I won't have that. Oh, I reached my goal weight. No, (laughs) no, (laughs) go live and be free. You know, there's no such thing for me. And it's that to me is my insanity, and I just wanted to comment about how this has kind of stymied me. Like you know, I I listened to a meeting the other day, and I just binged the whole day. It freaks me out so bad. Like, I mean, you know, I'm sabotaging myself. I'd rather eat and be fat than the fear of losing weight, getting attention, and gaining it back again. And that's all I really have to say. I'll pass. Thank you, Sandra S. Welcome. Rabia M. Good morning, my fellow visionaries. This is Rabia M. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in New York, and I love everyone's shares this morning. Thank you. Thank you so much, everyone, for being on the line. And, oh, the plain insanity, the mental obsession of my mind, um, my disease speaks to me in my own language, in my own voice, and very seductively. So I listen, and 
it's taken me a it's taken me a lot to start identifying that voice of my disease as the voice of my disease because um it makes sense it's a voice I've listened to my whole life you know you can just have a little you can start with organic you can eat after dinner you can any any which way it wants me to start eating that gateway behavior the eating behavior uh, and 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 I get such comfort in reading this. For this kind of thinking has been characteristic of every single one of us. Well, the first 100 recovered alcoholics are saying every single one of us thinks this way sometimes. Every single one of us on the line, I know for me, recovered compulsive overeater, my mental obsession comes back that I'm always going to have the mental obsession. I'm going to always have these seductive, quiet, seem reasonable ideas to start eating in some way, shape, or form. Um, And so the urgency, I love that we're talking about the urgency of the 12 steps because that is the only solution that, yes, I I must use the tools of OA to put... down, but that's only for the first couple of days, and then I must continue using those tools to keep the food down so I can get into these steps, I can recover in these steps, I can get to the 10th step so I have the neutrality with food so that I can remove the blockage of the 11th step so I can ask God, how can I do loving service for you today so I can live in the 12th step? I must... I must always be working with another compulsive overeater who has the gift of desperation. I'm not talking about someone we've gone through the first few steps together, you know, they're in the sixth, seventh, eighth step, and and bless them, I'm glad. I'm talking about someone who has the gift of desperation and wants this recovery as much as I want it. Um, And whatever, wherever they are at, you know, maybe they just, can put the next meal down. Maybe they need help with the next meal. Wherever that in the steps, I, I need I need that energy in my life to be working with another desperate, compulsive overeater. And 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 I think and I'm finding talking to people, and I'll end with this: that it's not that we get complacent in the 10th, 11, and 12th step. We just um, don't realize the urgency of of working with with a de- another desperate compulsive overeater. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Rabia M. Appreciate that. And my name is Melanie. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. I just wanted to um, add a perspective here from my experience that I'm actually quite delighted that I don't have to reinvent the wheel. This is telling me and teaching me that there is some sort of deficiency, some sort of glitch in the brain processing that I happen to have. Maybe I don't even have to understand where it came from, where it happened, what what went wrong for sure. But the authors here are outlining an example of, in this case, how the brain processes for that of an addict. And I can just take this and accept this and work it through. So what would that look like for me? Well, the, the idea that I trained myself to think that I'm going to get different results each time I applied something, I'll just give you a little 
insight here, it seeped into other areas of my life as well, not just with food, <laughs> miserably. And so I was wondering and then asked myself the question, where was my sound reasoning that failed to hold this business in check? I'm not real sure where that starts or stops. I don't, don't know. And because oftentimes, and in just everyday kinds of things, the insane idea won out based on the results of my, my best thinking and my decisions and my actions. And so what happened for Melanie? When I got into these rooms, I was taught early on to, to um, you know, beyond the basics of, of being abstinent and working steps is to, you know, talk with some folks that have gone along the line to check out the things that I was doing and, and, and uh, see if it met with any kind of sound reasoning whatsoever because I didn't know. I didn't know where my sound reasoning began. I thought that it all was. I'm telling you. My best ideas around picking up or driving in that place or doing again what I'd done the day before that I swore was different, it was going to be different this time, was my sound reasoning. It had gotten that bad by the time I came into these rooms. And so I was encouraged to check with other people just to run things by. What did Melanie run things by other people? I came to a point where I ran everything by initially. Do I do that today? No, thank God. The... The, um, the spiritual part of this, this program by doing the steps, working the steps diligently um, without fail has given me a good bit of intuition these days in my life. But in the beginning, it certainly was checking things out to make sure that um, I had some sort of protection. For this woman, I am in a playground that's well supervised with bumper pads. And with that, I pass. Uh, did anyone else want to share? We have about two more minutes. Leah? Deborah, hey, good morning. You're, you're up. Deborah, I'm so sorry. If we could save you for the next hour, I'll, I'll go with um, Leah for now, and that will take us to the end. Thanks, Leah. Thank you, Mel. Good morning, everybody. It's Leah M. Recovered Compulsive Overeater. To us, it is not far-fetched for this kind of thinking has been characteristic of every single one of us. Again, reminding me that it's the thinking. Um, you know, and it's, this story certainly illustrates that absolute awareness of my disease is not sufficient. You know, I'll just be a smart compulsive overeater. Because the bottom line is for someone like me, a real compulsive overeater of my type, when I really had had enough, when I really had put down my foot and said, no more, I'm through, that's the end, that's it, I'm never going to binge anymore and everybody's going to be happy now, all of a sudden, at some point, I would change my mind and having that first compulsive bite seemed like the best idea I had had in a long time and of course I would take that first bite, trigger the phenomenon of craving and I would be in all the pain and misery that I had just the night before. And this cycle got so bad for me that I ended up in a locked facility, sitting across from someone who had this text in front of them, who brought these pages to life, who taught me that I needed a new mind, that my powerlessness did not mean after I had dug my, my hands, my fists into bags and boxes, that even after I learned all about you know, compulsive overeating, I was still with that intellect and not going to be able to go through life without binging. That knowledge was not going to help me. My problem was going to be at its maximum when there was no binge foods present within my body. 
That's the insanity of the situation. That's the desperation that I had to learn, that I have a defective mind, that I was suffering from a session where one idea would enter my consciousness and dominate me in such a way that all the other ideas were shoved aside. That obsession became the only reality. Hence, I was insane in this manner. Thank God for the process of these steps, because once the intellect could, was fired uh, and pummeled out of me, it could be replaced by a different guide, and that guide is submission to the program of recovery, submission to my higher power, because only when my in- ego and intellect, and intellect could have been dethroned could this, these principles and this higher power rule my life. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Leah. And thank you to everyone. It is now time to close our meeting, and we will close with a reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Terry H. please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Yes, thanks, Mel, for your service. My name is Terry H., recovered compulsive overeater from Maine. Our book is meant to be suggested only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and into us. Ask him in the morning meditation what you, what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is a great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.